TCU comes up with a huge win, their biggest win of the season. The basketball team upsets number nine Oklahoma at Sean Meyer Arena on Wednesday night, and also huge news in the college coaching world. That's all coming up next on Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also subscribe wherever it is you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, etc. Thank you for making the show part of your day whenever it is and however it is that you do. TCU basketball with a big win last night. We typically talk football to start the show, but uh, the men's team, they upset number nine Oklahoma. Women's team, unfortunately, fell to Texas on Wednesday night, even though they did look more competitive <clears throat> than they have in the last few games. And they added someone to the lineup last night, which might be an encouraging thing moving forward. But we'll start with the men's team, an 80-71 to 71 victory over Oklahoma and a milestone night for Emmanuel Miller. He led the scoring with 27 points, also had nine rebounds. And he hit uh, the 1,000 career point milestone at TCU with a three in the second half, surpassed 1,000 points during his TCU career. Uh, Emmanuel's been a great representative for the Frogs the last couple of years. He's been an outstanding player. And going into this season, it was huge when they got him back. Like, I remember when he announced that he was coming back instead of going to the NBA draft. That was a big deal for the ceiling of this team and how good they could be and how far they could go. But going into the year, I was like, leading scorer. Who's the person they're going to run their offense through? Maybe it's Jacoby Coles. Maybe it's Jameer Nelson Jr., the transfer from Delaware, who's done some nice things, even though they've kind of changed Jameer's role. He's been more of a bench player lately and kind of an instant offense type of guy off the bench, and that's been – a good role for him. But I think it's clear now that the offense needs to run through Emmanuel Miller. Emmanuel Miller is the best player on this team and he's doing it in a lot of different ways. Now, I mean, his bread and butter is still catching the ball in the high post, working in the mid range or backing somebody down, trying to get a good look around the hoop. But last night, I mean, he did some of that. He also was really active on the glass on offense, cleaned up some shots had some nice putbacks. Uh, OU came out and hit a couple threes um, after halftime to tie the game. Frogs had a six-point lead going into halftime. They hit a couple threes coming out of the break to tie the ball game. And TCU's offense was kind of struggling. He got an offensive rebound and a putback that started the to stem the tide a little bit. And he's just he's the most calming presence on this team. If you need a bucket, if you need something good to happen, it feels like getting the ball in his hands is the best option. Also last night he hit some threes. I'm going to take a look at the numbers here and see what his overall shooting was. 11 of 17 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3. So really efficient, nice shooting the basketball. But they got him a couple threes, and they were running, you know, spread, pick, and roll at the top of the key. And they had uh, a manual kick out, and they had the the guard that was kind of running that action at the top of the key, whipped the pass over to him on the wing, and he hit a couple threes, one of those threes being the moment that he surpassed that thousand point milestone. So some really good stuff from Emmanuel Miller last night. I think it's clear that he's their best player and he's been a dude for the last few seasons. And, you know, the last couple of years, though, he's kind of been in the, not in the shadow, so to say, but Mike miles was the clear guy that was going to go score. Damian ball also had the ball in his hands a lot. There were times in the past two years when he was focused and when he was engaged, 
that Eddie Lampkin was a really good scoring option, especially in the low post. But this team's very different now, and I think it's kind of benefited Miller in that the the bigs that they run out there, the guys with the five they run out there, are more rebounding, defense kind of energy. And so it allows him to be the dude that is, you know, scoring the ball in the post. And they've ISO they've ISO'd him on, you know, different sides of the floor, and he's done a really good job so far making good things happen. Um, so congratulations to him on surpassing a thousand points and a really good effort last night. Another player that I liked what they brought to the table, um, not only last night, but just recently is Avery Anderson. And Avery has kind of become the point guard in crunch time. They like him handling the ball. Um, and he had a tough shooting night in the first half. I mean, could not hit anything, was taking a lot of shots from the outside. They weren't falling, uh, was just struggling to shoot the basketball. He, now he finished five of 15 and he did a lot of his damage in the second half and ended up with 15 points. But there was a point in that ball game where he had been struggling and about, you know, early in the second half, he had kind of changed what he was doing and he wasn't being as aggressive. He was distributing, running the offense, trying to find ways to contribute outside of scoring. But there was a point in the second half where they uh, brought some action up and they had a screen at the top of the key for him. And Oklahoma went under the screen and basically dared him to shoot the three. And it was a deep three, but he had time to set his feet and get his shot right and line it up. And he knocked it down. Then he knocked down another three a few minutes later. He was also really aggressive going to the hoop, um, had an and one opportunity that he converted on uh, late in the second half. Had a nice, did a nice um, move off the bounce where he was able to get towards the rim, put up kind of a circus shot, but Emmanuel Miller was able to clean it up off the glass, and so his ability to get in the lane and penetrate brought attention from the defense to the other side, and then Miller was able to, to get it done. They ran some funky lineups out there, funky, excuse me, funky lineups out there last night. I remember at the at the end of the first half, at one point, they had a five guys out there, and it was like, it was Anderson, um, it was Anderson, Peavy, O'Bannon, Cork, and I don't think Miller was on the floor either, Uh but anyway, it was just a point in time where I was like, man, where is the like where is the scoring going to come from? Because this is a very defensive heavy, and it was a lot of guys that you're like, okay, these guys are known for playing defense, having good energy. Um, and, and I was wondering, like, where how are they going to score the basketball? But they were still effective, and they ended up extending their lead a little bit before halftime. I think their crunch, like if we're talking about a crunch time lineup, their best five right now is Anderson and Nelson at the guard positions. So Avery and, and Nelson, and then you got PV at the three, Miller at the four, and probably Uday out there at the five. That that seems to be what Jamie Dixon wants to run out there in crunch time. Now I'm interested to see how the lineups shift and change when Jacoby Coles gets back out there. Because I do think they've kind of found a rhythm with what they have right now. And Coles is definitely a weapon. I mean, he's a guy that can score and can fill it up when he's right. But I don't know if he – I'm not sure if he's the type of guy that can create his own shot and get, you know, get to the rim off the bounce as effectively as definitely not as effectively as some of our other guards. So I wonder how they sort of try to reintegrate him into the offense once he's healthy, but Coles is a big weapon. And I think he's going to be a big part of this team moving forward. It just seems clear you know, now that Emmanuel Miller is the dude that you want to have the ball in his hands the most from like, a, all right, we need a bucket. Let's ISO somebody. Let's get him in the high post and let him go to work. But overall, really good win. And it was a win they need to have because, you know, Houston 
Houston's going to be a tough matchup. They turn the ball over a lot against Iowa State, but that's not typically what they do. So I don't – I mean, I don't get the sense that TCU's going to have just a ton of transition opportunities. And Houston also gets after you defensively. They're also a little bit different this year because they got some guards who can score like LJ Cryer. But great effort by the Frogs tonight. I mean, they really – this OU team can score. And defensively, they shut them down. It feels like the rotations are getting a lot better. They're playing much more connected defensively, you know, closing out on shooters, not allowing great looks. They're not turning the ball over, which helps things a lot because you're not having to just run, you know, kind of rapidly and get back down the floor quickly and get all your assignments. You have time when you score, even when you miss off a rebound to get back on defense and set things up well. Um, my one big concern, just because typically with Jamie Dixon teams, this is not a problem. They're getting beat on the glass. Like they got they got destroyed by KU on the glass. And, and Dixon mentioned that after the game. He was like, we have to be better rebounding the basketball. And then uh, Oklahoma also had an advantage. Um, it wasn't a huge one. They had 38 rebounds. It looks like TCU had 36. But still getting out-rebounded. Um just by a slight margin. And so maybe that'll, you know, you would think with the fives we got running out there, that could improve. But I do wonder in crunch time, if they put Coles in there, because it's tough to take Peavy off the floor because he's such a good on the ball defender and he's improved somewhat offensively. It's going to be tough to get Anderson and Nelson off the floor too. And then Miller, obviously. So could they go small with Miller at the five and then Coles at the four and then your three guards and that would, I mean, that would put a lot of stress on the team defensively and from a rebounding perspective. But that should be a group that could really score the basketball. So we'll see what happens when he gets back and gets healthy. Another thing that was announced last night, um, Kenridge Williams, his jersey is going to be retired in early February. Uh, really cool for the Waco, Texas native Kenridge Williams. Um, he's going to have his jersey retired February 3rd against Texas. He's the fourth all-time leader in rebounders at TCU, 25th in scoring, had over 1,000 points in his career. He's been in the NBA for six seasons now. He's really found a, a niche in the league. He was with the Pelicans for a while. He's been with the Thunder now for four years. Uh, so congratulations to him. Kendrick was one of my favorite players when he was there, um, was on those great teams that finally broke through and made the tournament with Alex Robinson um, and Jalen Fisher and uh, Vlad and all those other guys that were – that were so good, but he was one of the guys that changed the culture here. And I remember he, I think Kenrich was there for one season. I know he was there for at least one season when Trent Johnson was still coaching. And I remember asking Trent, cause Trent would mention him almost every game. Like, man, Kenrich has given us some good minutes and he just loved the way he played. And he, he was a coach's dream. Billy Wessels, who used to cover uh, TCU for rivals. He dubbed him with the nickname Kenny hustle and that stuck, but really cool that he's going to get recognized as, um, one of the greatest frogs of all time, and he's going to have his jersey retired. So TCU men, they went 80-71 to 71 over Oklahoma. Uh, the ladies, they lost, but they were a lot more competitive against Texas. Fell the Longhorns 72-60. to 60. Um, And one thing I noticed, they gave Victoria Flores some, uh, some run off the bench last night. She had 17 minutes. Um, she's from Duncanville. And she's played sparingly so far, but she shot the ball really well. I mean, in 17 minutes, she had eight points. She was three of four from the field, two of two from three. So, I mean, they, they've been looking for a spark without Sedona Prince in the lineup. Maybe Flores is somebody who can do that. It's a different position, but she can at least give them more of a scoring boost. Madison Connor still struggling to score. I mean, with Prince out of the, out of the lineup, it's just really easier for teams to devote more attention 
to Connor, and she's such a good shooter. Um, maybe Flores can be somebody too, though. They can, you know, give her some more airspace. They they cut that lead to one a couple times, cut it to two a couple times in the second half, but just could not find a way to get over the hump. And Texas ends up pulling away towards the end, so they win seventy two sixty. Frogs now uh, one in three in conference play as they still struggle to kind of find their footing um, after the Prince injury. They play Houston on Saturday at two o'clock, and then they get Kansas State after that. So hopefully they can get started on the right track here soon after a few tough losses in a row. When we come back, huge news in the college football coaching world yesterday. We'll talk about that and more next. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. We talk about them almost every day, but for good reason. FanDuel is the number one sports book in America. FanDuel, they make it easy for you. If you've ever wondered about what, what does it look like to start betting on sporting events, I hear about lines all the time now when I watch uh, pregame shows, like how can I get involved? If you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, put – $5, a $5 bet down. Doesn't matter what it's for. $5 bet down, you'll get $150 in bonus bets. $150 of free money that you can then use to gamble yourself. FanDuel.com slash locked on. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with just one $5 bet. They also have an app that's really easy to use. You can bet on more traditional things like uh, just money lines and spreads. But then they have different parlays you can get involved with. You can go off the beaten path and do some prop bets. FanDuel, it's the bet, official betting partner of the National Football League. NFL playoffs start this weekend. Games on Saturday and Sunday. Excited to see how all that plays out. Hope the Cowboys can break through and make the champion, NFC Championship for basically the first time in my lifetime. I, feel, I think I was three years old the last time Dallas made it past the divisional round. So we'll see if they can do that. And you can bet on those games and more at FanDuel.com slash lockdown. Again, $150 in bonus bets with a $5 bet. Also, the FanDuel app is super easy to use. FanDuel, proud sponsor of the Lockdown Network. <clears throat> Man, a crazy day or a crazy 24 hours in coaching. So I was doing uh, the show called The Triple Option with Paul Catalina on 365 Sports on Wednesday afternoon. And we're, we're just talking about college football. And then news came down as uh, – as we were just chatting about college football and the national championship game, that Pete Carroll was uh, being parting ways with the Seahawks, essentially. They were going to reassign him to a different role. He was no longer going to be their head coach. And I was telling Paul, I was like, you know, Pete's been at um, Seattle for such a long time now that, honestly, I associate him more with the Seahawks than I do USC, which is crazy because those USC teams were uh, so impactful. I mean, that was – that was the first dynasty in college football that I really remember. And they were so much fun with Reggie Bush and Matt Liner and Lindell White. I'm still mad at them for losing that Rose Bowl to Texas because as a kid, I was one of the few people growing up that wasn't a Texas fan where I lived. And uh, yeah, that, that national title year for the Longhorns was not, was not fun for me, but Vince Young was incredible. That was an incredible Texas team. And they beat the juggernaut of the time. That was USC. I mean, USC at that time was, the Alabama or the Georgia of that era. Um, they just had so much talent across the board and guys that went on to play in the NFL, they were incredible. And so that news comes down and then I go home and I'm working from home and I'm like trying to do some catch up on some emails and do some things. My kids are playing and I look on my phone 
And I saw it first from Chris Lowe. I honestly don't know who reported it first. But Chris Lowe says that Nick Saban has retired. Nick Saban, the greatest college coach of all time, is leaving Alabama. He's hanging it up. He's retiring. He won seven national championships. He won six national championships at Alabama. He was absolutely incredible. I mean, his overall coaching record was 292-71-1. At Alabama, he was 201-29. That is just absolutely insane. He was 117-18 in the SEC Conference. He just churned out winning team after winning team. And then even now, I mean, the last few years, it feels like Bama has had down seasons. But this year they were, you know, it was like, yeah, Bama's not as good as they typically are. Jalen Milrow has struggled. The offensive line has struggled. They still lost one game. They beat Georgia to go to the SEC title game or to win the SEC title game. And they lost in overtime to Michigan. And he's just been the model of consistency. The other thing I appreciate about Saban or just that I've always admired about him, he was an innovator. Like he never, I mean, there were a few years there where they went through a lull and a lot of it was their fir- the first couple championships in his Alabama era. You had quarterbacks like Greg McElroy, um, game managers, right? And those teams were built on the, on the defense. They were defensive teams that – played smash mouth football, they ran the ball, they had great running back after great running back come through there, and that's how they won games. And then everything sort of shifted. And honestly, a big part of it was that 2014 season, which I know for TCU fans, we all remember getting snuffed in the playoff that year because of that loss to Baylor. But Frogs get snuffed in the playoff, and then it was Ohio State taking on Bama in the first round of the playoff, and Ohio State had Cardell Jones at QB. And Bama had Blake Sims, and they were running a pretty traditional offense, and they got beat. And then that also that year they got beat by Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss, which TC went on to embarrass Ole Miss. But Ole Miss with Hugh Freeze, they were recruiting really well. They were cheating, obviously. We found we come to find out later on. But they were recruiting at a high level, and they had innovated their offense, and they had changed things up, and they were running a spread offense. And so Saban decides, okay, you guys want to play like that? I'll go play with that. I'll, I'll start go. I'll go start recruiting dynamic quarterbacks, and I'll open this up, and we'll go get skill guys that can do it. And he went and got Lane Kiffin as an OC, and he had Tua Tagovailoa come through there. He had Jalen Hurts go through there. Mac Jones won a national title, and they rattled off three more championships when it looked like they were they were done. Um. He's just been so consistent with all the ebbs and flows. They would lose assistants every year. They would lose their offensive defense coordinators. They would get poached because they'd get head coaching jobs or they'd get better opportunities. And Alabama still found a way to have great teams that played at a high level. And even, you know, in these supposed down years, they were still really effective. And so it's crazy that he's hanging it up. And I, I did – I watched uh, – I watched Bomani Jones does a podcast – and he was talking to Joel Anderson, who's a former TCU football player, TCU alum. Shout out to Joel. Um, and Bomani kind of called this. And he says that he said after the fact he didn't have any inside information, but they were talking about Nick and them losing in the playoff and what that means moving forward. And he said, look, I think Nick Saban's going to retire in the next few weeks. 
And what he talked about was Saban doesn't really have any contemporaries in college football. Obviously, Kirby Smart's won a couple titles at Georgia, and it feels like he's the guy that's going to take the torch and run with it now, depending on – and we'll see what happens with Jim Harbaugh if he ends up going to the NFL. But there's nobody that has the longevity and the accomplishments of Saban at the college football level. Now, he does have contemporaries in college basketball. There are guys that have had the types of careers that Saban have had in college basketball. Mike Krzyzewski, um, Jim Beheim, right? You could throw like Jay Wright in there who won a couple titles and was there forever. If you notice, all those guys are leaving. With the, the, with the changes in the landscape in college football, with NIL, and with the portal, with everything that's now required of these coaches – a lot of those guys have moved on and they've, they've gone to do different things. And now coach Saban is, I mean, I don't think it's the only part of this, but I do wonder if with everything happening now and everything that's required of a college football coach outside of actually coaching, if he's ready to move on, because he did have a brief stint in the NFL that didn't go super well. And for a long time, the line about college coaches in the NFL has been, well, <clears throat> they have so much power at the college level. They don't want to give that up and um, move on to the NFL where, you know, you're essentially coaching your peers. But in all honesty, with free agency essentially in college football with the portal, with everything that happens behind the scenes with NIL, it's becoming more and more like the pro game. But it's still crazy to see this happening. I mean, this is – He's the greatest college coach ever. He's now leaving Alabama. So what does it mean for TCU? Because this is a TCU show, and so we talk about the Frogs, we talk about the Big 12. But I did want to take a minute to talk about this because this is the biggest news in the sport. Bill Belichick also parted ways with the Patriots today. Just a crazy time in coaching. Um, Here's what it means for TCU. Sonny Dykes is not going to be up for the Alabama job. I don't think anybody was wondering that, but I'm just going to put that to rest right now. Maybe if he had a better year this season, he'd get some traction. But I think even then – you know, I'm Alabama's going to go after like Dan Lanning at Oregon, um, those types of guys, right? Lane Kiffin, maybe, depending on what his relationships like with the power brokers there. Sonny won't be in the mix, but Alabama's open. That means there's some good players there that are potentially going to be hitting the portal in the next few days. Alabama's going to hire somebody. I would imagine they hire somebody pretty quickly. It's going to be a big name. Maybe Lane Kiffin from Ole Miss. Maybe Dan Laney from Oregon. There's going to be players on those teams. That will be hitting the portal shortly. Frogs need to be ready. They need to start identifying, like, okay, who on these rosters is there a potential that we could go get? And you just got to go find the best talent available. And so it's it could be a good opportunity for TCU. Maybe they land a player or two. I don't think it's going to be, like, some mass exodus that's going to TCU. But maybe there's a player or, or two players – they're going to be on the move soon. That TCU could land that are going to really going to help their team this upcoming year. Um, and hopefully the Frogs are ready to pounce if and when that all goes down. But Nick Saban retiring, just crazy stuff, man. I mean, he is the standard when it comes to college football. I saw Brandon Marcello from 247 Sports. He interviewed Gus Malzahn today. Or just asked Gus about his thoughts about all this playing out with Nick Saban. And the reason he did was because he was like, Gus Malzahn was one of, the, one of the most successful coaches ever against Nick Saban. And they had some great battles in the Iron Bowl when he was at Auburn. 
he went three and five against Nick. It's just crazy to think like, he, and he's right. Like Gus is, he's got famous wins over Nick Saban and it's some of the best wins in Auburn history. But even the guy that did the best against Nick Saban was still three and five against him. Just crazy stuff. Salute to one of the best coaches of all time. We'll wrap things up when we come back. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. Game time. They have a great promo still going for you. Uh, game time is the best place to get tickets. If you're wondering where can I find tickets for TCU basketball or uh, a concert, a comedy show, whatever's going on in the Fort Worth area, you don't have to worry about where to buy tickets for your next big event. Just do it through game time. It's a fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. They have killer last-minute deals, so you don't have to get you know these tickets three or four weeks in advance. They have last-minute tickets, flash deals, easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. They give you the view of your seat when you click on it so you know exactly like, okay, this is what I'm going to see when I'm sitting down. Um, take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create, create an account, and use the code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account and use the code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D, for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today, last-minute tickets, and the lowest price guaranteed. Game Time, it is the best place to go if you need to find tickets for your next big event. On yesterday's show, I talked about Ken Wilson coming over from, he was the head coach in Nevada. TCU hired him to be on their defensive staff. Still waiting for some clarity to see if he will be in a linebacker role or a analyst role. Um, and so some of you guys had some thoughts on that. Matt Clark said, do not judge Ken Wilson by Nevada. The prior Nevada coach, Jay Norvell, absolutely fleeced all the good players through the portal when he moved to Colorado State. Honestly, don't know how Nevada got to four wins while Ken was there. Yeah, I mean, I said that yesterday too. Like, if it's an assistant coach role, especially if you're not going to be a play caller, I mean, I think at most Ken's going to be – a position coach and will just be an extra set of eyes for Andy Avalos. But if it's a position coach role, I'm not worried about what they did as a head coach. I mean, I think it says something like, okay, Ken Wilson, at least for that specific job with not a lot of resources, uh, he struggled, but it's okay. He's going to be asked to do, you know, significantly less here at TCU. And he's been around forever. He was an assistant coach at Nevada for like 20 years, basically. Um, he's bounced around a couple different places. He knows how to coach football. He knows how to coach linebackers. If he's an analyst, then he knows how to break down film and help, you know, some of the administrative stuff that maybe the defensive staff can't get to on their own. He's going to be fine. Um, I also talked about the wide receiver room. Tommy Fisher said, I think JP was consistent, but Savion was the dude, especially the second half of the year. Our wide receiver room is going to be legit next year with the additions of Dalen Wright can stay healthy. Um, and he said he's more worried about the O-line and DBs. Yeah, I'm worried about the O-line and defensive backs too. Now, I think they've done a good job of trying to address the O-line in the portal, but it's always the question of when those guys get here, what are they going to be able to do, right? Like you have some talent now, but can they mesh together and play at a high level? That remains to be seen. Um, and DBs, I think they're they're going after the right people, but safety and corner have to get better. You're totally right. Uh, Zoom place that I hope all is good, man. Sonny said TCU will be in the 12-team playoff next season. Let's see. I hope you're doing well too, brother. Um, I mean, I think there's – like, listen, you just got to win the Big 12 and make the playoff. And so it's a pretty wide-open league. Um, now, I, I feel like my opinion could change over the next few months. At this point, I'm kind of at a place where I'm like, get to a bowl game next year. 
look better, look more competent. Those are my goals for TCU football. I still think they could be in kind of a rebuilding mode, but we'll see as uh, we get closer to the actual football season. And I appreciate you guys. You can always chime in on the YouTube comments or tweet at me at some Steven. The show is at Locked On TCU. This is Locked On Horn Frogs. It's your team every day.